All right, so since I have a background in children's ministry, I thought, why not start with something fun, a little activity, object lesson, if you will. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to show some connect the dots on the screen. And so the first one, I'm going to put an animal up here. What is this animal? It's a dolphin. Yes, that is my favorite animal. Thank you guys for asking. All right, let's get the second animal up there. It's a snake. And in fact, this is actually Andy's favorite animal. So, okay. I, you know what? I was so hoping that joke would land. Those of you that know Andy knows that he hates snakes. We do um, baptisms in the creek sometimes. And he said long ago that he made a deal with God that if he sees a snake in the creek, he's out. They're done. Luckily, he hasn't seen one yet. All right. Let's get that last picture on the screen for me. Anybody have any guesses? It's a worm, maybe. Could be a tree, could be a coin. Who knows, could be a Tesla, like we don't know. But listen, there's only, there's only three dots up there. We can't tell what's next. We don't know where number four dot is going to be. And we're in this series, the middle. And sometimes, Life with Jesus is a little bit like following a connect the dots where you're not quite sure where the next dot is going to be. And so we're going to be looking at the story of Abram, who you'll hear me refer to that as Abram and Abraham, because his name changes throughout his, his account in the Bible. And then I also want to share a little bit about my own story and our own middle that I have been going through. And one of the things that we say here a lot is like, this is a safe place to be vulnerable. This is a place where you can take off a mask, take off a facade, and you don't have to pretend. You know, in, in the past, historically, churches have not been safe places. One of my favorite things about Wellspring, and I can say this because I'm not really on staff anymore. What are they going to do, fire me? Um, (laughs) But that's a dangerous time to give somebody a microphone. But what I want to say is Wellspring is a breath of fresh air when it comes to talking about mental health. You know, a lot of times we get into this mindset of like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just stop being anxious? Or why can't I just stop being depressed? Or what's wrong with my spouse? And instead, the question should be, what happened? What happened to me? Or what happened to my spouse? And so through my childhood, I had some really adverse experiences, some things that happened to me. And I'm not going to go into all those here, but I want to set the scene for kind of what landed me in therapy. I was having recurrent panic attacks where I had to pull over my car on the side of the road. I was in a season um, with my children, which I was so glad. I was like, oh no, she's still be here. But um, my daughter, Emily, is adopted and it is a beautiful adoption story. But over the last six months, we have been um, reuniting with some of her biological family. 
And while that is an amazing thing, it's also very nuanced and hard. At the same time, both of my kids were going through comprehensive evaluations to figure out exactly how they're wired and what their special needs are. And I just want to say, if there are any other parents in the room who have children with special needs, like I see you, I am you, it is incredibly hard. And if you know somebody that has a child with special needs, offer to help them because it is hard, it is lonely, it is isolating, and they don't want to ask. I started a support group this last year, really selfishly, because I needed help. Um, And it has been such a beneficial thing. Um, If you are a parent, whether your child has a medical need or a social emotional behavioral need, we meet together and it's a really, really beautiful time. While all of this was going on, I was also trying to be a wife and a mom and a friend and lead a ministry and all of these things and it just got to be too much. So I decided to talk to my nurse practitioner and seek out some therapy. And therapy is a very hard process. It is painful. It's worth it, but it's painful. And one thing that quickly floated to the top, and those of you that know me, this is not going to be a surprise, is that I have control issues. (laughs) And (laughs) I basically dealt with that through hypervigilance, which is this term for like, you're just always on guard. And the, the story that played out in my brain was, if you are not in control, you are not safe. And that played out in some very small scale things, like I have to look up everywhere online before I go, to some kind of bigger things, like I won't get on an airplane because I don't like that I'm not flying the airplane. (laughs) And it spills over into, it's really hard for me to trust Jesus sometimes, Because if I don't know what's going to happen, I don't feel safe. And therapy brings up a lot of repressed stuff too. But the reality is, one Christian neuroscientist said, we cannot heal what we will not feel. And he says, when we, we bury our pain, we bury it alive. So until we deal with it, it's going to keep affecting us. So for me, my hypervigilance, perfectionism, and my image-focused ego is actually where I was putting my trust, because if I could just insulate myself with that, then I really wouldn't have to trust Jesus as much. And I do feel in that process, it was about a year and a half I spent with that counselor, I felt like God was tilling the soil of my heart to get it ready for something new. And I was challenged to do a lot. I was challenged to slow down, to rest, to practice silence, to practice solitude. And friends, that's just a list of everything I hate. Like, (laughs) I want to move fast. I want to talk all the time. I don't want to be slow or silent ever. But it was in the stillness and it was in the silence that God started to speak to me about my role in ministry and who I was as a daughter in the kingdom of heaven. 
You know, my entire life, I tell people, I feel like I've been on the payroll for Jesus. So my dad was a pastor. My husband's dad is a pastor. We both were raised in church. We were never a part of any church that wasn't connected to our livelihood. In college, I worked in ministries the whole time. My senior year, I only had like two classes one semester, and I was schlepping, setting up, and tearing down children's ministry at a church in East Tennessee. So no part of my experience with Jesus has ever been separate from me being paid to work for Jesus. And I had to do something with that personally. I was where I was putting my identity. And as I was talking to our residents, we are going to be introducing our new residents next weekend. And one of them, her name is Abby. And I had talked to her like two times. And I was telling her like, hey, I'm going to be stepping off and here's why. And she said, hmm, it seems like Jesus is wanting you to be a daughter in the kingdom instead of trying to run the kingdom. And I was like, you don't know me like that. But, but and she was so right. No, I told her, I said, I think you just spoke a word to me that like I have to process for a bit. And then I was texting her about it and she was like, I didn't even realize I said that. And I was like, that's because it was the Holy Spirit. Um, and I will say, we have some great residents coming up this year. And every year so far, I feel like we just get the best ones. I'm so excited about it. So I knew that I needed to resign between the situations going on with my kids, the inner healing I was doing. I felt it was time. I started talking to Andy about it in December. Like as soon as he was back from his sabbatical, I was like, hey, <laughs> like, ooh. Um, But we started praying, and I felt the leading from the Spirit and some trusted friends that I um, had had spoken to about it, and I told my counselor that I really felt like I needed to resign. And he said, okay, so why don't you? And I said, well, I just feel like it's really irresponsible. Like, we depend on my income. Williamson County is very expensive. And I just don't know like how we're going to make it if I'm like not working. It's irresponsible. And he said, oh yeah, irresponsible. He said, when you say that, you're taking into account only the Western logic instead of realizing that if God has told you to do something, he's going to take care of you. And then after that, he proceeded to punch me in the face. It's this new kind of therapy. It's like Fight Club. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't. Don't report him. Um, but what he did say next really hurt. <laughs> but it was like a good, good kind of hurt. He said to me, you know, one of the reasons why you don't feel safe if you're not in control might be because you never give Jesus a chance to come through for you. Instead, you try to always create your own security. So basically, it was a punch in the face. Um, But he was right. Like I, you know, you hear about people who have like plan A, plan B, plan C. I've got all the way to plan Z. Like I have got a backup plan from a backup plan from a backup plan. And I think I had to do some unlearning with that. So I went home. I talked to my husband. 
And then I took a sabbatical. And the word that kept coming up was this word mystery, which is not a comfortable word for me. Like, I don't like mystery. I don't like surprises. If you have seen Kristen Wiig when she has to keep a surprise on SNL, that is how I feel. So if you haven't seen that skit, that's your homework for today, um, is to go home and watch Kristen Wiig trying to keep a secret, keep a surprise, because I hate it. Um, and what I feel is that God was calling me into a season where he wanted me to step into the unknown and just do the next right thing. And if you caught it, I got that from the prophets Anna and Elsa and Frozen 2. But it's true. It's true. Following Jesus is a lot like connecting one dot at a time and being okay with mystery. So what happened next was Andy and the elders sat down. And, you know, our elders aren't always up front right here, but they are serving our church so well, doing so much spiritual heavy lifting. Um, If you see one of these gentlemen, uh, be sure to tell them thank you because they do such a great job. So they all crafted this amazing part-time plan for me that would allow me more flexibility, but still allow some income for me. And I was like, this is great. Like, this is going to be a perfect scenario. And then I came back from sabbatical and worked for a week. And I was like, this is not... I. I feel very unsettled. I don't know why. I went home and I said to my husband, this doesn't feel right. Like, I don't know what's up. And my husband is very wise. He's very behind the scenes. He doesn't have a lot of words because I have enough words for two people. But he looks at me and he says, I think the reason why you don't feel settled is because God told you to resign and you didn't do it. And he was right. He was right. That week, I also had an appointment already scheduled with my therapist, and I was telling him that I can't separate my brain from the parable of the Good Samaritan. And if you don't know it, uh, Jesus tells this parable where there's this wounded man on the side of the road, and several people just walk by and don't pay attention to the man who is wounded on the side of the road. And In that story, I had felt like, okay, well, Wellspring has some open positions right now, and like I can help, and if I don't, then I'm just walking by and leaving wounded on the side of the road. And my counselor looked at me and he said, it's interesting that for the last six months, you've been sitting in my office talking to me about how your kids need more of you, how you want to be more present for them, how it's breaking your heart, but yet somehow in that story, you're not seeing them as the ones that are wounded. And he said, why do you think that is? And I had to sit with that for a little bit. And I don't know if it was a sense of duty. You know, you go to youth conferences and they're amazing, but they're like, ministry is the best thing ever and you have to do it, which is great. But at the same time, how that translated to my brain was, well, yeah, like I've got to help rescue the church. Like, and I had to release the role of rescuer, which interestingly, Jesus never actually asked me to do that. But I took that on. And so for me, I decided that I needed to create space from my misalignment of priorities. Now, I want to say something because what happens to women sometimes is mothers, we get put in this box. 
You are either a working mom or you are a stay-at-home mom. And in our own minds or the stories we tell ourselves about what other people might be thinking, we then attach moral value to being a working mom or being a stay-at-home mom. And it is a very hard tension. But it is the wrong label. I don't think Jesus is looking at that label at all. What I came to understand is that Jesus is asking us to be spirit-filled mothers because then the value is attached to how we respond to wherever Jesus tells us to go. There's not a right or wrong. It's about the motivation. So... I finally listened. Like, y'all, it took a year in therapy for me to obey God. (laughs) Um, And I resigned a a few weeks ago, and this is my last Sunday on staff. And I really do appreciate you guys, like, letting me share that with you. Um, But the reason I wanted to talk about the story of Abram is because there's a lot of parallels between their life and my life. Would you guys... um, Look to the screen, or you can get out your Bibles if you want, but I'm going to look at Genesis 12, verses 4 through 5. So a few verses before, God and Abram have like a little chat, and God tells Abram, you need to go over here, go over there, and here's what's going to happen. Then verse 4, it picks up and it says, So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all their possessions they had accumulated, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. La, 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 the end. Like, what? We don't see Abram coming home and telling Sarai, like, hey, babe, guess what? (laughs) Like, we're going to move, and I don't really know where we're going to go, and I don't know who's coming with us, but, like, we're just going to go. I have been in a strong, committed marriage for 13 years. If my spouse came home to me and was like, we're moving, no other information, I'd be like, well, I have a few questions. Like, (laughs) I would want to know. And on this page, we don't see more of that story yet. In a few verses before, we get Abram's origin story, which is very brief. It's basically like, Terah was his dad, and he married so-and-so, and Abram had this brother, and this brother died, and he married Sarah, and she couldn't have kids. It feels like just Instagram story versions of what's happening. Like, how did his parents meet? What happened to his mom? How did Abram meet Sarai? And like, why the weird note, adjunct, seemingly adjunct note about her fertility. If you read just Genesis 11 and 12, what you don't know is what God is going to do in the middle. Because there's a middle coming after chapter 11 for Abram. And through that experience, that exact one, it impacted generations In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, which is this full just testimony of people who obeyed God, and it says, by faith, we'll get it up there for you, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going, even though he didn't know the next dot that was coming. And if you get a chance to read the full story, 
Sometimes he did that well, and sometimes he didn't. Abram and Sarai really wanted kids, and he got tired of waiting and tried to come up with his own plan, and it caused a lot of problems. But then when God told Abraham to take Isaac up the mountain, he obeyed. That's the human experience, y'all. Sometimes we get it right, and sometimes we don't. Abraham waited a hundred years for a promise that God told him. I went through infertility for four, and I was so angry at God. I don't know. I probably wouldn't have made it a hundred. And listen, the middle is painful, but it can be really powerful. The middle is painful, but it can be really powerful. You know, uh, I do challenge you to read the whole story of Abraham and Sarah because through them, God built a nation. And then if you're a believer, you know the story of Joseph and how impactful that was. And through Joseph, God saved a nation. And then through King David, this boy that defeated Goliath, then God restored worship in that nation. And then through Jesus... That nation became a kingdom, not just of earth, but of heaven. The middle is painful, but it can be powerful. And I want to challenge you. Do not discount the middle. And I know that that is a very heavy thing to say. Because the middle could be divorce, cancer, abuse, death. Some of my middle growing up is the exact reason I needed therapy. I sat on a couch and said, why didn't God protect me? The middle can be painful. And sometimes we don't get answers to that right away, but that doesn't change the reality of a resurrected savior. The middle is painful, but it can be powerful. So I talked about God Tilling the, heart of my, tilling the soil of my heart to make something new. And in Revelation, kind of the bookend to the scriptures, uh, Jesus is quoted to have said, Behold, I am making all things new. And in biblical Greek, there's two words for new. The first one is naos. And what that is insinuating, or the picture there, is an updated version of something, like a newer iPhone or a newer car, basically something that's had some minor adjustments, and it's just a better better version. But then there's a second word, kainos, and kainos is new as to form or substance. Kainos is the word used in Revelation 21, unlike Naos, kainos indicates something that is previously unknown, or could we say that has previously been a mystery? And the way I think of this, because I think in analogies, is I think about how would the, you know, Athenian heralds from way long ago, when they would carry messages back and forth, what on earth would they think about Alexander Graham Bell's telephone? And then even if we sat Alexander Graham Bell down with Steve Jobs, and Steve Jobs was like, you can FaceTime Saudi Arabia in three seconds. I mean, their minds would be blown. There is no way 
that over here, way back in history, they could have conceptualized FaceTime. One seminarian said that Kainos is something that is better than the one that came before it, so much that it fulfills or even surpasses the original model. I want to close with this. God does not want to repurpose our middle for minor tweaks. God wants to repurpose the middle for complete recreation. Say that again. The middle that you're in, the really hard thing that makes you want to rage at God, he does not want to repurpose that for minor tweaks. God wants to repurpose that for complete recreation. When we walk through the middle, when we embrace mystery and realize faith is not just a logical ascent, we open our hearts to a relationship with Jesus that is new, it's transformed, kainos. So I want to challenge you today to embrace the middle, embrace the mystery, because when you do, You can embrace the Messiah in a way that you hadn't been able to before. Let's pray. Jesus, we're sorry for the times that we forget, where we forget that you're powerful. God, thank you for being present. God, thank you that uh, true community among believers doesn't mean we have to hide the really hard stuff. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the leadership. And Jesus, it's hard because we don't want to thank you for the middle. But what I can say is I'm thankful for how nothing goes unredeemed. I love you. Amen.